Hello and welcome to Spotlight on Inclusive Coaching, a podcast series brought to you by Active Herefordshire in Worcestershire and the University of Worcester. The series aims to inspire and inform aspiring coaches across all sports and disciplines who are interested in gaining knowledge about how inclusive coaching can have a huge impact upon the athletes and the differences and similarities about how it should be approached. So we're inviting coaches to engage with us, take away some tips and see how they feel about inclusive coaching. There are six podcasts in the series covering a mixture of sports, ice skating, football, tennis, athletics, rugby and basketball. In these interviews, we're going to discover how our coaches have adapted and rounded their skills to become more inclusive and what it requires each time they step on the pitch, the court or the arena with their athletes. We'll talk about the challenges faced and the incredible rewards too. In this episode, we're focusing on wheelchair basketball with the coach of the Worcester Wolves women's PL team, Simon Fisher. He has a wealth of experience, including working at the Paralympic Games and European Championships. He talks about how across all the levels he's coached at, a lot of the focus is on really understanding each individual athlete and talks in detail about the lengths he went to to make that happen. Here's what he had to say when we caught up with him. Um, my name is Simon Fisher. Um, I'm the head coach of the Worcester Walls Women's Wheelchair Basketball Team. Um, so I lead and head up the, I suppose, the Wheelchair Basketball High Performance Partnership here at the university, um, linked to the Worcester Walls. Um, and just give us a brief history, if you can, of your coaching background, because it's seen you in many different guises, hasn't it? Yeah, I guess, um, what, 30 odd years now. So my, I guess I started coaching when I was 8, 16. Um, when I was playing, you know, when I played the game of basketball, I probably realised at that point in time wasn't the greatest player. Um, had ability to do a coaching course, and from there, I, you know, through the university, I, I just coached the running game for a long time. Um, coached both club level at Stoke and then Birmingham, uh, through to them regional. Um, very fortunate to be the national England national head coach for uh, for five European tournaments. Uh, then the Welsh national team coach, both at under-16s. And at that point in time, I'd also transitioned to working for British Wheelchair Basketball. They realised that I'd coached, that I got, I got involved with some team management and then, yeah, ended up coaching the uh, at the Tokyo, what was 2020, but then 2021 Paralympics as head coach of the women. So I suppose I've coached at all levels from running game to wheelchair and at all facets of that. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Um, so, so- you know, obviously, it's quite a passion. What what do you love about it? What do you love most about the role of coaching? I, I think it's going to sound quite corny, but I just think I enjoy seeing people progress. I enjoy um, watching people improve. Um, I guess I'm known. I'm you know the ball goes up. We all want to win. You know that, that we're competitive. We you know by nature, but I get a bigger satisfaction out of seeing how as a team we can progress and as individuals can progress um, and I think you know right at the highest level you know when I was coaching at the Paralympics then it is all about the wins and losses and that's just the nature of sport but the level I coach at I prefer the academy and that type of level you know I get a big greater um, satisfaction out of seeing those players you know leave me if I've helped them on their journey fantastic to go to a high level but I just think it's about connections and seeing people progress if if we win, fantastic. But it's not it's not about the winning per se for me. 
Have you got a proudest moment today? I mean, you mentioned the, the Paralympics in Tokyo recently, <laughs> um, but there have been other proud moments up to that point, or that moment where I suppose the buzz hooked you and I, that was it? Was that was it? No, no, I, th- I mean, you look at different different levels. I think you know, clearly, I will never forget leading out the team at the Paralympics, and yes, that is you know, it's, it's the highest honor any any coach could have within within your sport. Really, you know, coaching a national team at a Paralympics is is something. I, so that was a proud moment. I think. Um, again, sounding quite corny, and it actually was here. It, you know, it wasn't involved with us at the time, but when I coached my first international for England and 16s, and my mum was watching, um, I think that was you know seeing you know, my, um, seeing her, you know, my mum watching me coach. I think that was a, a proud, obviously, for the national team. But then, other than the proud moments in terms of players I've coached, and when I see them put on a, a GB shirt, senior shirt, both um, for the running game and wheelchair game, and just to know that. I've helped them. I think that's a proud moment, and I've got a lot of players that I've coached who are now friends that you know still contact me. And in many ways, that's that makes me proud because it means you know I did do something to to help them on their journey. So I think, you know, but in terms of a personal highlight, you know, coaching coaching at a Paralympics is is something it can be never taken away from you. So let, let's let's dive into the the inclusive side of things. What what is it? about what does inclusive coaching look like from your point of view? What, what are the main principles about it? What are the main, you know, the main things about it that, that are so important about it? I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you coach a team sport, um, and especially wheelchair basketball, when I got into wheelchair basketball, and for those that, you know, aren't quite aware, the sport itself, has you have to have different um, levels of player to be able to, to perform. You only had so many points on court, and each player's worth a different amount of points depending on their classification which is which is done on their you know functional ability so within that we have to as a coach I have to coach you know all all types of players develop them um, and you can't win a game by yourself so I have to be able to coach players to play with each other and play together and I think for me what inclusive coaching is it's very, it's very simple each player deserves you know all of my attention now I can't do that all of the time I might be coaching one player and another player, but essentially I have a responsibility to all players to, to help them improve. Find ways to, to do that. Find ways to what suits one player might not suit another. And provide, you know, every session I do, I have to try and, well, no, I don't have to, I, I want to try and improve those players. Just a small point. And that might be somebody's shooting ability, it might be someone's pushing ability or, or knowledge of the game. But everyone deserves my... Uh, focus just like anyone else so I, I don't never have had um, you know coaching a player or something. I'm coaching everybody and I think I, I've always treated everyone the same in that respect um, and it's it's quite emotional uh, in the sense of it, it takes a lot from you but you know the rewards are great at the end of it mm-hmm. and, and can you tell us more about I suppose the challenges you face maybe even the challenges you face going into inclusive coaching as well as as well as within it itself, it's a really good question because coming from the running game, in which I've been involved for twenty plus years, twenty five years, and you know, inspired by my dad and and, and that, um, I'd been aware of wheelchair basketball and, and been around it, but I hadn't really been involved in the sport. So when I came into the sport, which was two thousand and fourteen, uh, talent development officer, my job really was to to develop the the pathways for players, but obviously. I've got a passion for coaching, so I started to get involved in that. And I think it was a real challenge because I think wheelchair basketball itself is 
is going through a bit of a change. Um, and what I mean by that is that I think if you speak to, I'm, I don't know if you, I have spoken to players in the sport and I've been involved with some consultations. And the players at the very highest level the end of the sport will see themselves as athletes. So some of the players I coach, both at the Paralympics and here at the, the Women's Premier League team, they're athletes. But players that are just coming into the sport believe it, that it's more of a disability sport. So it's for people that are disabled. And somewhere in the middle, there's, a, there's sort of a, a line where it, there's a tipping point. Now, the top end of the sport, people coming in for basketball with, or with other sports with coaching knowledge or with, with basketball knowledge are welcome with open you know, because it's they, they just, because they're athletes, they just want to see us. And we can bring new ideas to the table. But further down, there is probably um, still a reluctance, or there was reluctance when I started. That's changed markedly now. Um, and I think that the, as the sport grows, it's, it's attracting more people from the running game to come across. Um, and because of the nature of the sport where able-bodied players can play alongside disabled players and you get a lot of mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers playing because it's a way of them playing with their with, with, the, with the person that's disabled, I think there's a real sort of community aspect feel to it. So I've, I've seen a real shift in, in my time. But I think the barriers for me, it was, it was almost trusting myself um, that whether you coach able-bodied or whether you coach disabled athletes, you're coaching athletes. Um, and almost that reluctance sometimes to, you know, be nervous about. And the more I work with them, they just want to be treated like athletes. So, yes, I might get, you know, the odd phrase wrong, yes. Um, sometimes, as you know, in the early days, maybe I might say something that's not quite PC. Not deliberately, just because, but now just realise they just want to be coached and I trust myself to do that. I'm still learning about the game, especially the technical aspects of the game. But the coaching is, you know, I suppose it's like a drug and, you know, and when I go onto the side of the court and, it, and, the, and the ball goes up and we play, then, you know, whether it's a running game or a wheelchair game, you know, the, my, my passion will, will, will still be the same. How difficult is that to overcome? Because I'd imagine other coaches may be in the same boat who are, who are, who are moving into inclusive mm. sports. And there are obviously certain principles you apply across the board, but there are certain, I suppose, disciplines you have to get yourself used to. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, one's about patience mm. um, and don't, not beating yourself up. And that's one of the things I found at the start in terms of recognising that there is a learning. Does um, it require patience from both sides? Yeah, it does. It mm. does. And I think that I, I, my, I got... Um, a slight advantage because I was coming across in the running game, you know, and my CV, you know, it looked great and phone so on and so forth. So that probably got me a greater window. The fact that people knew me because we worked for wheelchair basketball probably helped a little bit. But I think also it's about communication. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And it's probably something I now take back into the running game because I'm coaching the running game as well, is probably those communication skills that I've learned or enhanced within the wheelchair game, I've taken back to the running game. Um, and I think that the more you can ask questions and more you ask athletes, how would you do that? You know, I, I think the biggest thing about wheelchair basketball for many people is understanding you don't have to be in a wheelchair to play the game. So we'll have many people that what we call walk to the court. They could be overbodied. They could be uh, amputees and they get into a wheelchair to play. So therefore, the ability to move a chair is, is actually one of the hardest things. So I spent probably a good part of that first year I was coaching actually going to other sessions and joining in. You know, my arms hurt, my shoulders hurt at the end of it, you know, but 
they could see that I made the effort to try and be part of their sport and to learn how a chair moves. Now, I'm not going to be as, as great as some of the, the players that I coach, but if they can see that effort, they can see that connection, then it gives you an appreciation of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's understanding that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay, how would you do that? How, what do you think about that? How could we do that? And in a collaborative way, mm. I mean, an athlete-centred way, player-centred, whatever you want to call it, as opposed to coming in and going, right, this is how I'm going to do it. So I think there, there is a real sort of patience and a, and a, and a communication. And I think then it's also about realising that, as I go back to, they just want to be athletes. They just want to play. So mm -hmm. when the ball goes up and we play, they're going to win like any other team want to win. All right? And they appreciate that we're trying to get to that point and we're trying to work together. Um, and we, we keep the same standards. We keep the same morals. And everything we do with the running game applies to the wheelchair game. And that for us, is it's building up that knowledge and that... Just treat them like anyone else. Ask questions, have some patience. And that, that's what it's about. Hope you're enjoying the Spotlight on Inclusive Coaching podcast so far and taking some inspiration from our guest. We'll get back to the conversation shortly, but just wanted to make you aware of the other episodes available in the series. There are going to be six interviews with different coaches, plus we've got an introductory episode where we discuss all of the coaches' chats with the people behind the project, Active Herefordshire and Worcestershire Partnership and the University of Worcester. So that one's available right now, but also available now is our chat with Dan Thorpe, who after a long career in tennis coaching now runs Redgate Sports, which is a Worcestershire-based programme delivering sport to children who don't normally get the opportunity to play for a variety of reasons. He talked to us about using his experience as a volunteer to tailor what he does, putting the athlete and their needs first. So things like sometimes what I'll do is I'll leave my equipment in the car or I'll leave the equipment off the court. And so, so the kids arrive, I might just say, um, well, actually, I'm, I'm not ready yet. Um, can, you, can you help me get set up? So we'll just go and, we'll just go and get the kit. Uh, and then, so you create a sort of uh, something that's happening. And then in that, you can then say, you know, what you've been doing today. Or, um, oh, I like, what, tell me about those shoes. Do you know what I mean? You just find yeah. sort of neutral things to talk about. And that's the starting point in terms of rapport. It was a great episode with Dan. Make sure you go and listen to it once we've finished this episode, of course. So let's get back to it. Do you think that collaborative element of, of coaching is going to become more and more? Because I guess, I guess inclusive coaches have maybe a slightly different role to their athletes. Your athletes, you know, I'd say in traditional coaching, athletes might look at coaches, they know everything I need to learn from you, but this is a bit more both ways. I think... Um, I think there's a difference between individual and team sports. So I think if you're coaching and um, so that, that might has a slight difference to it. I think there is an element of the level that you're coaching at. So when I go to some uh, and do some you know, development sessions, then there there's, there's a real sort of, it's about you know, what you're trying to get out or what they're trying to get out of the session. But if we're playing a game on a Saturday, we're working towards that purpose or working to that knowledge of how we're going to play. Then there's a lot of reason for the players to understand what their role is and how they can contribute. And because of the nature of the sport, we have high point players, low point players, again, different functionality. That means that not everybody will play the same role. So, but not everybody can be on the court at the same time. So understanding and creating those uh, sessions and dynamics with the team where everyone values each other. And that's, that's quite a big thing. But if you're going to the development sessions, 
that's about individual performance, individual development. How can I how can I help that player that and bringing that player slightly up? And it, as I say, the skill of a coach is to, I guess, to understand that, understand how we're developing, and look at what those those players want to get out of it. And for some of them, some of the players, because and I, I find it, and I don't blame the system, I don't blame society, but a lot of these players, they, especially the young ones who are under eighteen, they go to school, but they don't do anything at school because the the, the 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 system within those doesn't allow for that. So obviously, you know, wheelchair back, you know, we, we've introduced some of that, and it's, you could argue it's reverse inclusion. So if they if they all get in wheelchair, then that helps. But obviously, there's a cost implication and everything around that. But what it does do is when they come to me and when when they're playing for their clubs at wheelchair basketball, basic fitness and so on and so forth, because they're not playing at school or play, actually, it's a release. Mm -hmm. But we, are, I have to understand that now. So I have to, we have to work with them, looking at where. Well, now we've set, we started the, the high performance program here, and the, you know they're in the gym, they're working. Again, like any other athlete, you know they like you would expect, if you know a player that's playing sort of semi-pro football or a player that's you know, starting the journey on that, you'd expect them to do time in the gym, you know time watching tape, just exactly what we expect our athletes to do, yeah. because. If they want to get to the top, that's what they need to do. I think the wheelchair or the parasport landscape has moved on such a long way in the last, you know, 10, 12 years. And I think as a country, I think we should be proud because I think London turbocharged that. And I think that, you know, both in terms of the visibility of it, standards rise, because as standards rise, then you need to, you know, if you want to get to the top, then you've got to rise. So it is, you know, but I do think it's... Um, a sport, sporting landscape, which is understanding that the bar, you know, to push barriers, there is no barriers. Mm. And, and on that note, you know, a lot of that comes from good, inclusive coaching, doesn't it? And and uh, I'm just, I'm trying to get around to that idea of potential now about yeah. what it can mean going forward. I think the, I think coaching, I think coaching moves on. If I look at my own coaching career, the way I coach now, it's worlds apart from where I started. Different. Um, ideas come in different size phrases come in as I say athlete centred coaching or you look at um, different ways of uh, of skinning a cat so to speak you know and you know, generally you see someone do something oh can I do that I think it comes back to the, the but the same fundamental building blocks around communication trust but I do think that as we develop the players the coaching they develop so I, I you know I ask the players to push themselves how am I pushing myself so I'm going to different camps to watch coaches. I'm going. I'm watching different workshops. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer in cross sport learning. So uh, you know, I watch quite a lot of cricket, but I don't watch it. In the, you know, I do watch cricket, watch England play in the T20 World Cup, etc. But also, I go and watch sessions. But I speak to coaches, watch rugby sessions, speak to coaches. What the Not because I think oh I can use that. Look at how they, what they're doing in their practice, what they're trying to achieve. Um, and both able-bodied and, uh, you know, and within the inclusive world. And I think that the more we do that, if we're challenging athletes, we've got to challenge ourselves. I think the other thing is just um, multidisciplinary teams. So in terms of working then together with nutritionists, working with strength and condition, working with, with, with sports psych as well, I think that's a big thing within, our, within Parasport, getting people to understand and be confident and you know, be who they can be. Um, so I think that putting all that together allows us then to just be better for the athletes. Mm -hmm. But then there is, you know, I, I say to athletes all the time that 
and when I was looking to recruit them. It's not my job to make them better. It's my job to give them the opportunity to be better. It's their job to take that opportunity. If they do that, they will be better. But we can, we can put all the landscape out for them, put all the practices on for them, and so, unless they want it. And, you know, in the heart and the way they work. And, you know, that's, that's the big driver. Um, so the players have to have that ownership of that as well. And when that all comes together, then, you know, we've had players now that have you know, progressed into GB squads and developing through here, which is fantastic. That's what we're trying to do here at Worcester is provide, provide the opportunity and then it's up to them to take it. Mm-hmm. When you're going to those other sessions, when you're looking at other sports coaching, have you, have you, are there particular things or any examples of advice or things that you've picked up that you're, you're applying now or you think are good for inclusive coaching? I think it's called a build, you know, um, planning, preparation. Um, it's quite interesting to see how s- some sports work um, in terms of uh, how they, they set up before. You know, do, they, do they train? And again, as I say, we, we, when I watch some individual sports, and I've seen some athletics sessions, and it's a very one-on-one relationship, maybe a small group, one, you know, if they're working with sprinters, but generally it's one-on-one. And they're doing some really, you know, and you're, because that then that knowledge in the coach of the player is really strong, then obviously, you know, almost just take a look or glance and so on and so forth. When you work with a team sport, how are they setting up? Are, they, are we doing... What kind of practice is it? Is it game realistic? Is it you know what do they see? Is that is it functional? Is it condition games and so on? Um, and I just find it quite how the coach do they step in? Do they step back? And I'm not judging that. I'm just really intrigued by how they've set that up and what they're looking to try and achieve. And then what I'm putting that into my practice, it's made me think of: Am I? Am I? I <clears throat> and I, I guess because go back to communication. I think I'm achieving. So now, you know, I have a really a good relationship with a, with the captain of, of the Wolves team and two other, three other senior players. And I'm generally speaking to them and saying, what do we, what do we think? Do we get that? Do we, what was the session like? How do you want to improve it? What do you want to work on? Because ultimately, they're the ones on the pitch. They're the ones, uh, you know, as much as you know, I want to go on court and I want to grab the ball and let's play, it's not going to happen. So therefore... I need to impart that and I need to understand what they... Now, some of that comes from direction. So they might not like me, but at the moment it's pre-season. So we do quite a lot of fitness and conditioning work. Now, I'm not a massive believer in just pushing, so you do that. But they might moan a whinge, but they understand why they've got to do it. But then when we get to the season or close to the season, then we'll be doing more, more which is more game-related and so on. So, the, But the, the players have to be involved in those conversations. It's about getting them ownership and when I go to sessions it's watching how that works and I think that's a sort of a, picked that up for a lot from rugby I'm a big cricketer and obviously the captain coach model but I do find team and individual sports I think there's just a, not within para sport inclusivity I just find that quite an interesting um, concept of, you know, across mm-hmm. a sporting landscape and is it that communication element that when, when it all boils down to it that is that one thing that coaches need to remember when it comes to inclusive sport I, I th- well, I think it's the same thing across all sports, isn't it? I think that um, communication builds everything else off. So if you haven't got good connection, you won't have trust, you won't have respect, you won't have the ability to impart knowledge. So communication skills. And the other part of that, and I learned this, I guess, relatively, certainly not at the start, but as I go, listening. Mm. You know, someone said to me, you know, you've got two, two ears, one mouth for a reason. And I think that 
sometimes coaches we have to understand that sometimes don't say anything be able to listen compute and then feed back and I think when we're working with inclusive athletes it's the same thing you know are we asking them to ask their opinion and the other thing is don't put ceilings on it so some of the best players I've worked you know and we have classification system in the sport so one point player two point player three and so on and they go yeah he's a two point player he should be able to do this why? If they can play like a four, if they can play, don't put don't put a scene on. Let and if they think they've got a scene in, then push that all the time. So don't don't believe because they've got a certain type of disability they can't do anything. You have to make accountability for that. You have to understand about that. But it's not an excuse. So allow them to explore that. But it all comes back to communication um, because that's the, that's the sort of the, the building block everything else we've built. Simon, thank you very much. Cool. Thank you. So there we have it. A huge thanks to our guest and, of course, to you for listening to this episode of Spotlight on Inclusive Coaching. Remember, if you want to know anything about the Coaches Academy or get more support on your coaching journey, then go to the Active Herefordshire and Worcestershire website, which is activehw.co.uk. We'll see you soon.